0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to episode 10 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. And today I am joined by Matt Collins, of BP Boston and Over the Monster. Matt, how you doing, man?
1: I'm good. How you doing?
2: I'm doing very well. Um, better than the Red Sox are this past uh, <laughs> few days. So Not
1: saying much, but all right.
2: Yeah, not saying a whole lot. Not setting the bar that high, but, you know, they're still tied for first place, so I guess we'll take that. Um, Matt, where can they find you on Twitter if they want to give you a follow?
1: Um, at Red Sox underscore thoughts.
2: All right, so follow Matt there. He's a good follow and uh, definitely give you some good good hot takes on the Sox. Um, so we, we alluded to it a little bit in the opening, but it has been a little bit of a rough patch for the Red Sox. Um, over this past uh, week that we have uh, had between our recordings, they've dropped four out of their last five games um, to their division rivals, Baltimore and Toronto. Um, they split with Baltimore. They're 3-4 against those guys on the year so far, uh, and they dropped uh, 2 out of 3 to Toronto, and that brings them to an even 5-5 five and five against Toronto. So my question for you, Matt, is more of a broad question uh, against these two teams, which I think are, are certainly going to be the biggest competition for the Red Sox, but how are these two teams seemingly able to exploit the Red Sox weakness so much, and is it as obvious as... You know, they have good offenses and the Red Sox have bad pitching, or is it more than that?
1: Um, well, I mean, yeah, I think that's basically it. Um, I think it's a little more specific than that, um, just that they, both of those teams, not only are they good offenses, they they have a ton of power. They're not like the Royals last year where they're slapping the ball all, all over the field. Um, and the Red Sox have given up a lot of home runs this year. Um, they had a ton of fly balls. I don't know if you've seen the battered ball leader, leaderboards, but they're towards the bottom of the league in ground balls, so um, when you combine that with a couple teams with the power that they have in the parks that all three of these teams play in, um, there's going to be stretches where we play them, and the Red Sox just give up six home runs a night or whatever, so it's definitely concerning. It's not the end of the world. Um, I'm looking at the Royals' schedule from last year, and it's funny around the same time this year, or last year I mean, the end of May, early June, they lost um, eight, of, 8 of 11 games, so it happens to good teams, so um, it's something that they need to address, but it's also not something that they need to totally panic over either.
2: Yeah, I guess it ended up working out okay for those guys.
1: Yeah, exactly. Red Sox going to win the World Series now, guaranteed.
2: <laughs> um, so, I mean, with, with this little blip in the radar and it's not like they've been getting demolished by Baltimore and Toronto. Like, I, I just mentioned it. They're 500 against Toronto, one game back uh, in the this, this season series with Baltimore so far. Dead even with Baltimore. Still have them by a significant margin in run differential. Is it just that the Red Sox, since they do give up so many fly balls, uh, are going to have difficulty playing against teams that are sort of all-or-nothing type home run clubs? Or do you think that... This is just, you know, a bad stretch for them, and they should be able to tidy this thing up.
1: Probably a little of both. Um, I mean, these are good teams, so most teams are going to have trouble against the Orioles and the Blue Jays lineup. Um, if the Red Sox want to go far this year, they're obviously going to have to find a way to um, not have those problems more often than not. But you're talking about lineups with Chris Davis, Manny Machado, Mark Trumbo. Edwin Encarnacion, Josh Donaldson. I mean, these home runs are going to come. So it's something that they need to work on, but it's, um, it's, I think it's more about the lineups that they're facing than the pitching staff, to be honest.
2: So if you were to have the Red Sox play in a theoretical playoff series and you get to choose the opponent between a team like, let's just say, the Kansas City Royals, who are more of a contact-oriented team, not as much power, or have them play in a uh, series against the Toronto Blue Jays, who do you think the Red Sox match up better against?
1: Um, I'd probably say a team like the Royals, because I think the Red Sox do have that good outfield defense, so that works well with the fly ball tendencies of the pitching staff, as long as the other team's not hitting it over the fence. So if you have a team like the Royals, and they're hitting a lot of fly balls, uh, more often than not, the outfielders should go get it and That should give the offense enough room to put a big number on the board early in the game and get out ahead and not have to worry about um, the Royals lineup hitting a bunch of home runs and catching up early. So, I mean, obviously, any team you play in the playoffs is going to be good and it's going to be a tough matchup, but I'd probably prefer one of those contact-oriented teams.
2: Well, it's going to be interesting because there are a lot of heavy-hitting teams uh, in the American League right now with the two that we've already mentioned in our division Um, but then also uh, out West um, Texas and surprisingly Seattle this year uh, have both been hitting a ton of dingers. I think that Seattle is top five in the MLB right now in terms of home runs hit. So I don't know how that will translate, but uh, unless you are playing the Royals coming out of um, the American league, the Red Sox are going to have to face one of these teams.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, um, Like I said, it's something that they have to work on, but I think getting lit up for a week in May slash June is different than if it starts happening in August, September, October.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of power, uh, we'd be crazy if we didn't mention um, what happened with Mookie Betts very early into the week. Uh, Pretty much just after we uh, had recorded last week, Mookie Betts went on that uh, pretty substantial tear of his. Five home runs in just two days. Um, Absolutely incredible performance by Mookie. Uh, It's still kind of hard to believe. I know that Alex Spear at the Boston Globe has written about how strange it is that such a small guy can have such a prolific power swing. Um, But I wanted to ask you um, what you thought Mookie Betts would end up with for home runs at the end of the season. Because this is getting pretty ridiculous with him. He's not all that far behind David Ortiz in terms of home runs right now
1: yeah um, so I think he's on pace for what like high 30s low 40s right now something like that um, so I don't think he's gonna do that um, I was so when he first sent me this question I was thinking somewhere between 25 and 30 and um I looked it up and pagoda says that he's gonna end the year with 27 so that's right about where I had it I'll just say 28 just to one up Picota, but that seems like the right range and that's more than I had ever expected for him. So and it helps that they they played those games against Baltimore who also has a pitching staff that has a tendency to give up those home runs too.
2: Isn't it unbelievable that we were talking earlier in the year about, you know, Mookie's bat bat uh Mookie bets his bat possibly not playing as well in right field as it was in center field and uh you know, all of a sudden he plays in right field and he turns on the power. So uh, he, he's he's looking a lot like a classic slugger here, but with added defense, base running, and uh, stolen bases. So um, it's a it's a pretty nice package to have out there, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um, I know there was talk earlier in the year that he was off to a slow start, and he was, but I don't think it was ever as slow as some people made it seem. But it's nice to see him get back on track and get back to being one of the best hitters in the lineup every night.
2: So I didn't include this on the agenda, so it's kind of putting you on the spot here. But Uh-oh. are there are there any right fielders right now in baseball outside of Bryce Harper that you would prefer to Mookie Betts?
1: Um, maybe Stanton. I'd probably have to think about it. I might give Betts the edge just because Stanton's had those injury problems. Uh, but off the top of my head, that's the only guy I can think of.
2: I don't even think I I'd guess. give it to Stanton, personally.
1: That power's just so enticing. I think you're right. I'd probably give the edge to Mookie, but I think it's close.
2: Yeah, it, it definitely Stanton's is. Stanton's only close.
1: 23, 24, so. There's a,
2: there's a lot of potential still in that bat. It seems like he has had a little bit of trouble staying on the field, though, throughout his career, and there's been a little bit of consistency issues. So I think... Just for the sake that Mookie can be banked on, I would probably give him the edge. But the fact that we're even talking about Mookie, the right fielder, in that same sort of breath as guys like that is is—it's uh, pretty impressive. And certainly not something we thought about and even a couple of years ago with that meteoric rise through the system that Mookie Betts had. I i don't think anybody in their wildest dreams thought this was going to happen. So very, very oh, cool. No chance.
1: Stanton's 26, by the way. I don't know why I thought he was so young.
2: Uh, he's a big dude. I saw a picture of uh, Stanton standing next to the Rock on uh, the field oh, at Marlins Park, and uh, there are not many people that can make the Rock look like a just like an, uh, a slightly bigger than average dude. But Stanton next to him like definitely held his own in the picture.
1: Yeah, I mean that's pretty impressive.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that guy's huge. Um, so we did have a little bit of bad news. Uh, with one of my favorite players on the Red Sox, um, in addition to you know the skid that we mentioned that they were going through, uh, Blake Swihart is possibly lost for the rest of the season with an ankle injury. Uh, I don't know how realistic that is. It seems like it's a pretty severe sprain. I'd actually be surprised if he was out for the rest of the year unless news comes out that there's actually a fracture or something that needs to be surgically operated on there. But uh, you know, Joyner and I were talking last week on the podcast about him being the long-term answer, uh, at least for this season in left field for the Red Sox. Um, now that he's down for the count, um, the Red Sox, it seems like they're going to be forced to trade for a left fielder, because right now what they're left with is really Chris Young and Rusty Castillo out there, and that's not a great position to be in.
1: Yeah, so um, I hadn't heard that he might miss the season, so that kind of... Throws off what I was thinking Um, Because I know Last time I saw he was going to Stay off of it for a couple weeks And then see what happens So if they can get him back in like Six weeks or something That changes things and Holt's coming back soon too Hopefully So I think you kind of have to see Get a better feel for how long They're going to be out before they make any big decisions Um, Because I do think that the rotation's probably Where they should be putting their big trade ships so if you could find a cheaper outfielder to trade for maybe you go do that but i think for the next month or so you kind of wait and see what's happening with swyhart and hold you let chris young go out there um even though he has to hit against righties you suck it up and figure it out from there um and just hope that one of those guys comes back and gives you a platoon partner um at least until the trade deadline you can see if there's a cheap bat out there
2: do you think that um, during this time that um, Swihart's going to be out, that Farrell will be tempted at all to um, play Rusney Castillo, even partially against right-handers? Or is this 100% the Chris Young show until uh, either Holt or Blake Swihart makes his way back? Uh,
1: probably like 75-25 split maybe. I mean, I think Castillo will get some chances, but Farrell likes to go with the veterans anyways, and Castillo hasn't really given them any reason to believe that he should get any chance so I mean I think it'll be some split but definitely favoring Young
2: Dombrowski did take some 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 flack early on for that Chris Young signing and I have to say um, I think so far it's worked out swimmingly he's doing incredibly well against left handers like he's supposed to um, and he's been pretty darn good defensively and the flexibility that he has to play in center field um, to give Mookie Betts days off has been pretty cool. So I really like that signing.
1: Yeah, um, I think the they had a weird schedule in the beginning of the season where they pretty much didn't face any lefties. So they were forced to put Chris Young in against righties. And he predictably didn't do well, so that's why people kind of got that bad first impression. But he's killed lefties, which is what he's supposed to do. And now he's going to have to play righties for a little bit, so we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, I mean, he's done... I liked that signing at the time, and he's done everything I expected him to do.
2: Yep, definitely a win a win for Dombrowski there, and I think I think we'd both agree that Kimbrell's been a win so far too, even with the the struggles, right?
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, so he's looked pretty good as of late. I know he has struggled with that 38 pitch performance, but by and large, been a really good piece. Um, The catching depth that we talked about early in the season with the Red Sox is now in question as well. A little bit of a more minor injury, but Hannigan is now out and on the DL as well, uh, which then puts Sandy Leone back as the Red Sox backup catcher. Um, Catcher is now officially as punchless a position as there could possibly be on the Red Sox, which doesn't really matter all that much because the rest of the offense is so good. Um, But... You know, I, I remember having talks early in the season, you know, how are we going to have Vasquez, Hannigan, you know, Swihart, all these guys who can play catcher on the team at the same time, and lo and behold, the uh, injuries have figured it out for us.
1: Yeah, I was I was definitely one of those people, too. I was saying a couple of weeks ago that they got to get rid of Hannigan and just play Swihart and Vasquez together, and you'd think we'd learn from last year <laughs> when the same exact thing happened, but... We never learned. Sandy Leon's going to be a backup catcher for the Red Sox for like the next 20 years. Um, But like you said, it doesn't really matter with this lineup. It stood out a lot more last year because the lineup was so much worse. But when the rest of the, when everybody else is hitting, you can sacrifice that offense for the defense. Um, So, I mean, it obviously sucks to have them go down, but it's not like Kanigan was providing anything at the plate either. So it's not a huge loss.
2: No, it definitely isn't. I will say, I I kind of like uh, Sandy Leon. I don't know why I like him. Yeah, that's but, kind of, that's pretty weird. I know. I mean, I don't dislike. I he's he's twenty seven. He's got a little bit of pop. Uh, well, not much pop, but he has the illusion of having pop at least. <laughs> he know. was
1: he was really good in uh, one of my out of the park baseball sims like three years ago. He turned into like MVP candidate. So. Maybe that'll happen. Who
2: knows? Yeah, I hope so. Maybe I don't know what I like about him. I'm looking at his FanGraphs page right now, like trying to figure out why, in my mind, I like I smile when I think of Sandy Leone. But um, yeah, I got nothing. He doesn't really do anything. He he hits an occasional double here and there. Maybe I just only see Sandy Leone doubles.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like he was like a decent prospect a few years ago. Like nothing special, but he was all right. But I could be totally making that up
2: too. You know what it must be? He's a Nats prospect, and I was living in D.C. for like six years before this, so probably I probably good. just saw him come up and w- had some interest in him because of that. So yeah, that uh, makes sense. C- case closed on Sandy Leon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another thing that case is closed on is the fifth starter debate, and I think you might have something to say about this, but for me at least. It's a no-brainer. When June 18th comes around and the Red Sox need a fifth starter, there is nobody else that they could possibly turn to, in my opinion, than Rowenas Elias, who just threw a complete game um, for the Pawtucket Red Sox, giving up one run, two walks, and striking out eight. Uh, He's been on a bit of a roll lately. He struck out eight guys, and he struck out 13 in two of his three starts before this last one. Um, So, I mean, he's the dude, right?
1: Um, probably, I don't want to totally commit to it because, like you said, they don't really need to do anything until June 18th, and things can change in 12 days. Um, but yeah, right now he looks like the obvious choice. Uh, just, I mean, it can't be Joe Kelly. Just please, no Joe Kelly. <laughs> um, same with Henry Owens. Um, obviously, Brian Johnson has his own personal things that he has to take care of right now. That's obviously more important than the Red Sox fifth starter. Um, So the only other guy would be Clay Buckles. And as much as I love Clay Buckles, he's probably not going to prove himself enough by that point. So I was kind of hoping that they'd be able to use Elias out of the bullpen and use him as their lefty guy. But the fifth spot's more important than that. So he'll at least get a couple turns and see how that goes. That's what it's looking like right now, at least. Who knows what will happen
2: between now and the 18th. Yeah, now I'm 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 coming off my point a little bit because I'm I'm thinking to myself, wow, Elias has at least three starts in the minor leagues to screw this up, and it's not like he's been dominant for well that's the any thing right? yeah. this year he's he's looked pretty bad at times yeah I
1: mean he could easily blow up in his next two starts and then we're all like all right well I guess Buckles is going back in there Kelly might throw a gem in AAA and they'll get sucked into that again so. Like I said, things can change. Right now it looks like it's Elias's to lose, but he could very easily lose it.
2: All right, so put on your gambling shoes for me here. What is more likely to happen? Elias gets completely blown out of the water in the next three starts that he has, at least a couple of them, does something that just makes the Red Sox think, no way are we even putting this guy in with a bunch of sharks here. He's a minnow. Or does Clay Buchholz do enough out of the bullpen over the next, you know, two two and a half weeks or so, that makes the Red Sox say, "All right, we'll give Buckholz another shot."
1: What's more likely to happen? What's
2: more likely to happen?
1: Uh, probably Buckholz pitching well, but I mean that says that's a good thing for Elias too, right? Because I don't think he's going to get blown up. I think he might be just okay instead of great, but I mean, he's a major league quality pitcher, so he shouldn't get blown up consistently at AAA, and Buckles, I think, I don't know what to say about Buckles anymore. I love Buckles, so it's hard for me to be negative about him, but <laughs> it's also hard for me to be positive about him after what I've seen this year, so
2: right, I don't you're...
1: think he's going to be great either, so it's kind of a wash.
2: Yeah, and Elias, to be fair, has not been as bad as it seems like he's been so far. I mean he got off to a shaky start where he wasn't going very many innings. But overall, looking back at all of his starts this season, he's given up two, two, four, three, five, two, one, four, and one. So it's not like it's not like we've got a bunch of fours and fives in here or sixes like we've got with Buckholz's record. I mean he's not getting completely demolished. I think What's happened with Elias is he's been a little bit hittable or he's been not very economical at times, um, hasn't looked great. But when his stuff is on, we, we, we have seen it work at a pretty high level in the major league. I mean, nothing, nothing amazing, but we're talking about a guy that um, was able to have a 4, 414 ERA uh, with the Mariners over 115 in innings last year. Uh, and before that in 2014 163 innings with the mariners uh, with a 385 era so uh, and, and that's a that's a real 385 era that's something that's backed up by a, a 395 XFIP and some pretty good peripherals so it's not not a complete mirage here with this guy yeah
1: I mean, he's a he's an acceptable back the rotation guy um like i said i thought ever since they got him he would be a better fit in the bullpen. I think he could be a really good piece there, but you got to take care of the rotation before you take care of that. So, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing him get a shot. I think he's better than the alternatives, but it's also not something I'm super excited about either.
2: So would you like to see Tommy Lane kicked out as the lefty and have him be the second lefty to Robbie Ross ultimately?
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I don't hate Tommy Lane as much as a lot of people do. I think he's fine against lefties. I think John Farrell just puts him out against righties too much, but um, I also wouldn't really care to see if he got designated for assignment. The only problem is they don't have a ton of left-handed depth, so if they did designate him and then he got claimed, that's just one less arm in case Ross or Elias got hurt, then they're kind of screwed. So I think eventually they're going to have to find somebody from outside the organization before they... Totally dump Lane, but um, we're just talking about a bunch of guys who are kind of replaceable.
2: Matt, I'm going to call you out on Tommy Lane right now. I am Is very... he doing bad against lefties? <laughs> well, he's not doing very good against lefties, but he also just throws junk, and I'm very adamant that he throws junk. I was looking at his velocities right now. 89 mile an hour fastball, complete junk, that, that pitch. He's got an 86 mile an hour cutter that doesn't have a ton of movement on it and a change up that he almost never uses. I hate this guy. Yeah, I want so him off the
1: team. it's funny. I actually, <laughs> um, last year I actually wrote something uh, sort of like this where I kind of, because I was like this a lot for most of last year and then I kind of looked into it and it. Works. I don't know how it works. I never really figured out how it works. But he was getting swings and misses last year. He was getting. He was performing really well. I mean, sometimes for lefties that junk just works. Uh, it's obviously a fine line he has to walk, and this year it doesn't uh, look like it's working as well. So maybe he just lost it. But I mean, look at how long Jamie Boyer stayed in the league with his junk. So right. lefties are just weird. I don't really know how to explain it.
2: Lefties might have bad junk, but it looks pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, man. What a night. Okay, so uh, over the weekend, I, I was sitting on my couch uh, between taking breaks because I was studying for an exam. And um, what, do, what does my brain turn to when I'm not studying but baseball, obviously? So I start throwing out ridiculous – or maybe not so ridiculous, uh, trade scenarios for the Red Sox. And uh, after studying roster resource for a significant period of time, maybe like an hour or so, and I scanned all the teams' rotations and decided what teams were in contention and what weren't and what guys' contracts were like and things like that, I decided on the three most likely trade targets for the Red Sox. And I'll give you my guys here and I want to know what you think about these three guys and then I want to dive into some names that you came up with too because I think that we both agree the Red Sox are probably going to be looking for some outside help uh, with their starting pitching I think it's just it's it's realistic for a team that has this good of an offense in all of these assets that they can now uh, throw at the problem so yeah um, Let me give you these guys. Uh, We'll go one by one. The guy who I'd most like to see is Sonny Gray. So here's the pitch on Sonny Gray. Still a young guy. A lot of control uh, left on his contract here. Uh, I believe he's still on his rookie deal. Um, Could be an ace, getting banged up a little bit this year. But he's the type of guy that I think that if you had to include a guy like Blake Swihart for him in a trade that you would feel okay about it, and I think it could pay pay off pretty big for the Red Sox down the road.
1: Yeah, so um, of the names that you have, he's definitely my favorite. Um, I think, I'm not sure he's ever going to take that next step to be like that bonafide ace, which I don't know if that's a huge deal, but he just, he doesn't really get the strikeouts to make me confident in that, and... If he starts losing his control a little bit, as he has this year, not that I necessarily think it's going to be like this for good, but if it does ever happen, you're seeing that the results can take a downward turn pretty quickly. Uh, that's not to say I wouldn't love to have him on the Red Sox. I would. It just – I never know about dealing with Billy Bean either. He's kind of a weird guy to trade with. He Sometimes he'll ask for a ton, and then other times it'll be like that Donaldson deal where – he asked for nothing, so he's. it's obviously worth a phone call to see what, what he's asking for, but I'm, I don't think I'm as excited about him as a lot of other people are.
2: Yeah, I think it would certainly be a buy-low. I think if, if the if the Red Sox had made this call on Sonny Gray last year, coming off a season where it was his second year in a row of throwing really, really well, he had a 2.73 ERA to end last year, second straight season over 200 innings pitched, um, was was pretty much one of the better pitchers in baseball last season. Uh, I think if you called and offered a package like Blake Swihart, you know, Henry Owens, and like Raphael Devers or something like that, you still probably have to give up more than that. But I think if you called up right now and offered Billy Bean, a Blake Swihart, and a couple other pieces, maybe like a Mauricio Dubon or... You know, something oh, like no. that. Hands
1: off him. Hands, hands off him.
2: He's I, anyway. I deliberately used that because you were on the show. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> um, but I th- I think that that's more realistic uh, right now because his stock is so low and because of all those things that you've said. I mean, do you think that he's taken enough of a hit with the, the gopher balls that he's been giving up so far this season?
1: Um, not really, just because they don't have to trade him right now he still has so much control where if that's all they were getting for packages and they felt like they had to sell on him, they would just wait and see if they can get more in the off season or get more at the trade deadline next year, so I don't think they're in a position where they necessarily have to rush to trade him, especially where he's still early in arbitration so I think the Red Sox are going to have to pay full price if they do get Sonny Gray.
2: And what do you envision full price for Sonny Gray being?
1: Yeah, I was afraid you would ask that <laughs> It's like I said, it's so hard to tell with Billy Bean. Um, I definitely think a guy like Swihart's probably in there. Um, probably Devers. I think he's of the big four. He's the most likely to go in a trade like this. Mm-hmm. And then you might have to throw in, instead of Owens, like a Kopech. Or, yeah. um, see, Sam Travis getting hurt really, really throws all this off, too, because he could have been that second guy to throw in that's not really a top-tier prospect, but still... A really enticing piece so it's good they're kind of in a weird position right now with Kopech missing most of the season and Travis missing the rest of the season and Owens falling off a cliff um it's kind of a strange place to be
2: yeah I, I I agree it is a weird place for the Red Sox to be right now because of so many of these guys just not not doing it but um yeah, I don't know. Would you be happy with that trade, though, if, if they did pay that price, if they did give up those three guys that you mentioned, Kopech, Swihart, and Devers for Sonny Gray? I mean, do you think that, that if, if we assume that Sonny Gray does get back on track and that he gets his control back and he's like a, a true number two for them uh, behind David Price, maybe even like a 1A, I mean, is that a fair deal for the Red Sox?
1: I'd probably be fine with it. Um it's also entirely possible that we're being biased Red Sox fans, and it's not enough. Um, especially Billy Bean. Who knows? I mean, maybe he loves Marco Hernandez or something. But I mean, I think if they did it, it would hurt a little bit. You're giving up three good pieces, but I mean, you're also getting back a what is Sunny Gray, 27 year old guy who's who can be a number two pitcher in a playoff rotation. So, I mean, I think it's worth it, even though it's going to hurt.
2: Yeah, I I think it's worth it too. So I would like to see that happen. Um, Not sure that it will. I think the more realistic guy um, out of the three that I have, and we've only talked about one, but the next guy I have on my list is Julio Tehran. Um, I think that he is certainly going to be a guy who is available. The Braves have not been shy about trying to trade off as many of their major league-ready assets uh, for prospects um, JJ Jansen's over at uh, Baseball Prospectus writes in the fantasy section, also does some prospect stuff. Um, we were having a talk on Twitter um, this weekend when I was throwing out all these scenarios, and he says that the Braves have been adamant that they will not trade uh, Tehran for anything but uh, Major League talent. I'm not buying it. Um, I proposed the package of Devers, Owens, and Dubon. And I'm sorry, the Dubon <laughs> you thing keep here doing again. That. Um, for Tehran and uh, JJ, who's a big Braves fan, uh, was was thrilled with that package. He, he thought that that would be more than enough and something that's that the Braves should absolutely take. Um, first, would you do that deal if you were the Red Sox? Would you feel good about that? And Do you think that Tehran is somebody who could succeed in the AL East?
1: See, I'm not so sure. Um, He's a fly ball pitcher. His peripherals are decent, but they're nothing special. And he's in the National League. I think if he came over to the American League, and especially the ballparks in the American League East, it could be asking for trouble. Um, That being said, he's also talented, so it wouldn't totally shock me if he uh, could turn around. Plus, he's only 25 right now, so I wouldn't. I'd be scared to give up what they're asking for him. Because while I agree with you that they are overselling what they what it would take to get him, I also think that um, it will take a lot, and I'm not sure I'd be willing to pay that price. Especially where if he did flop, he's under contract through 2019, so uh, the money's not really an issue. But you're burning up a roster spot fair and he could turn into not that i think he's joe kelly but he could turn into that kind of guy if things went poorly and they just have to keep giving him shots so it's kind of just i don't know if i'm being too risk averse here but it kind of just scares me
2: no it scares me too um you know when i when i proposed it i did so with just the the idea that it was realistic because he's certainly going to be available one must think because of what the braves do um but when I looked at his game log and I looked at some of his peripheral stats, I mean, th- you're right. They haven't been overpowering. He was a tremendous minor league pitcher. He's been pretty good, above average for sure, um, since he's been up with the Braves. But his peripheral stats have not always shown that he's a, a very good pitcher. But then when I look at his game log, it's, it's very confusing. So... Um, in a couple of his worst starts of the year, he gave up four runs to St. Louis and six runs to the Washington Nationals. Those are great teams. I mean, that that makes quite a bit of sense. They have great offenses. But then in a few of his other starts, he held the same Nationals team to two runs, and he went out against the Red Sox and held them to one run this season and struck out eight. He also struck out nine Cubs, allowing zero runs at Chicago. And he gave up just one run at Arizona while striking out five. This guy doesn't really make any sense because occasionally he'll just get completely annihilated and occasionally he'll make some of the best offenses in baseball look pretty foolish.
1: Yeah, I mean that's um he's a good number three starter, probably. I mean that you kind of I'm not looking at Rick Purcell's game logs, but I imagine you can make the same case with him maybe to a little bit of a lesser extent, but the same idea where sometimes they look really good and sometimes they're not so great. Um, but, again, it's also against National League opponents and some bigger parks. Um, you're facing the pitcher every nine times. So I do think he's all right. It's just those home, home runs scare the crap out of
2: me. Yeah, they do. Um, oh, man, I don't know. If, if, the, if I had to make the, the call on this this year, and the price was what I mentioned, I think I probably do risk giving up Devers for him, just because I think that you can you can recover from that deal. You can get a first baseman later on. I don't think Devers is going to be a third baseman. I don't think he'd be a particularly good outfielder either, so I envision him playing first base long term. I still think he's kind of far away. I think I would risk it to stabilize the pitching, because Tehran, even if he doesn't, um, you know, Put You over the top In terms of like this is is An ace coming into your team This is still a young guy who eats up innings 185 innings 220 200 Um, He's a very durable Guy and I think he's got good enough Stuff that like you said Even if it doesn't go his way he's a three Starter and I think that's probably his worst Case scenario
1: Yeah I mean I agree with your general point Basically if you're gonna trade for a starting Pitcher this summer you're gonna pay the price The market is so bad there's no free agents coming up. Um, so if you you you're gonna it's gonna hurt no matter who you get. you're gonna pay more than what you think you should. So um, I'm probably being too risk averse in general with all these guys because the price is just gonna be outlandish for whoever it is, but it's still scary,
2: yep, absolutely it is. Uh, last guy I wanted to mention was Wei Yin Chen. Um, you know, you might. Ask yourself why Wei-Yin Chen. He's He just got signed um, He plays for the Marlins Who are an over 500 baseball team um, But the thing that I was thinking Is just like they're the Marlins They trade everybody And they've got to look up at that division With the Washington Nationals And the New York Mets And think to themselves There's no way we're going to beat either of these teams In the foreseeable future So I think that They're probably the type of team that doesn't need to pay a guy $100 bucks to play for a third-place team. Uh, and I think that the Red Sox could probably make a trade for this guy for a lot less if they just take most of the money in the deal. He might be somebody they'd be able to get pretty cheap. So I wanted to get your thoughts on him. He's a guy who has succeeded in the A.L. East before.
1: Yeah, he's another guy with the whole run problems. Um, and he did succeed with them in Baltimore, but... He's 30 now. I'm not sure how long that can last. Um, I'm also not sure I agree that they will trade him just because I wouldn't be surprised if they look to trade him in the winter, but I think if they're over 500 by the deadline, then Laurie is going to want to uh keep the attendance up while they're pseudo in the race and they'll keep everybody around and he might try and sell them off. Um, Chen also has a bunch of opt-outs in his contract, so... That's a, that's not a great thing to trade for. Um, I mean, obviously, if the price wasn't much of anything, then yeah, why not? But um, the market's so crazy that if he was made available, somebody might give up a lot, and I'm not sure I'd want to get in a bidding war for him.
2: How thankful are you that you don't root for a baseball team that has Jeffrey Loria as its owner?
1: Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. I mean, I, <laughs> I know people joke about there being, like, six Marlins fans or whatever, but... I mean there are actual Marlins fans And I just feel so bad That's Nobody deserves that, it's awful
2: Yeah it's so bad But somehow they end up with more uh, World Series titles than a team like The Chicago Cubs So yeah, It's kind of hilarious so. <laughs> Yeah it is, it's really funny um, So those are my three guys uh, We've talked about all the issues And the, the potential pitfalls with them But who are the, some of the guys that you came up with Because I know you had a pretty good list of your own
1: yeah, so um, I do the same thing as you going on roster resource and just kind of skimming through the teams that I think are going to be selling. Um, I think the most obvious guy that you didn't mention was Rich Hill. Um, obviously, we don't know how healthy he's going to be at the deadline and he has a tendency to get hurt, so he may not be available, but if he is, I think he's going to be the most sought-after guy. Um, he's a free agent at the end of the year, so the price shouldn't be too, too high. And he's been like a legitimate ace since the end of last year so i think the red sox would be in on him if he's there um and then i yeah you want to go ahead on. Yeah,
2: yeah i want to talk about rich hill for a second because i mean just how bad did the red sox screw up here with rich hill i i i get why they i get why they did this okay so we, we sometimes talk about fantasy on this show. I play in a bunch of dynasty leagues, and in one of my dynasty leagues, I pretty much rode Rich Hill to the championship last year uh, in my league. And at the end of the season, I ended up cutting Rich Hill for a prospect because I really did not buy that Rich Hill would continue to do this at 36 years old. Um, I was wrong. The Red Sox were wrong. I can make that mistake because I'm playing dynasty league baseball, but the Red Sox have to be kicking themselves Right now for not Going ahead and signing this guy Um, He ended up getting paid Six million bucks by the A's Um, You know throw ten million At this guy and tell him he's gonna Get to compete for a a rotation Spot it's not like this rotation was You know the the Mets rotation at the beginning of the year I know he wanted a guarantee that he'd be He'd have a rotation spot I mean why why didn't he do Enough to earn one for the Red Sox last season
1: Yeah so That's the thing. They they weren't going to guarantee him a rotation spot, so, I mean, unless they were going to pay him, like, $20 million, he wasn't going to come here. Um, Now, Joe Kelly was in that rotation at the beginning of the year, and I think I wasn't at all convinced that Rich Hill was for real, but I definitely would have given him a chance over Joe Kelly. So I would agree that they made a mistake, but also, I mean, I don't think many people saw him continuing to be just as good as he was last year. So. It's one of the most remarkable things I can remember seeing in baseball. And I kind of hope it continues. I always liked Rich Hill. So I'd like to see him back on the Red Sox and they can make up for that mistake, uh, hopefully in a month or so.
2: And what does a package for Rich Hill look like? I mean, the guy is over the last hundred innings that he's pitched between the Red Sox and the Athletics. He's got, he's up there in baseball with some of the best stuff. I mean, last year when he was with the Sox. He held opponents to a 141 average, and he had a 29.2% strikeout minus walk rate. I mean, that's that's like Kershaw.
1: Yeah, it's – I have no idea. I don't think anyone really knows. Um, there's no comp for him. Like, nobody – there's nobody who you can point to and say, all right, well, this guy was traded for this, so Rich Hill should get something close to that. There's nobody like him, so – I'm really interested. I really hope he stays healthy. Um, I really want to see who trades for him and what they end up giving up, especially since he's just a rental. So, um, and plus you got the Billy Bean factor in there too. So it's really interesting.
2: I hope the Red Sox have to pay like a, a pretty steep price for Rich Hill. I just think that like, <laughs> they need to do penance for letting Rich Hill go.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd rather they didn't. But I'm sure, <laughs>
2: I'm, I'm just, I'm just being a jerk. All right, who else you got?
1: All right, so I have the rest of my list is guys that I'm not positive are going to be traded or anything. They're just names I saw on teams that I think are going to sell. But uh I got Matt Shoemaker, who has been weirdly good this year, and he was pretty good a couple years ago too. So he's only 27. He's under control for a while. Um, the Angels have no farm system, so they're going to have to restock that at some point soon. I wouldn't be surprised to see him put up. um I have Jeremy Hellickson who was bad for a long time, but he's been all right this year. Um, he's another home-run guy, though, so I, coming back to the American League, I'm not sure how that would go. I'm not super excited about him, but if they struck out on everybody else, he wouldn't be a terrible, like, plan-y. Um, E. I have Junior Garrett on the Brewers, who is another weird guy who kind of came out of nowhere, and he's been good for his first handful of starts, so. You want to see how long that could continue, but if he keeps going to the deadline, um, he's on a rebuilding team so you could see him moved. And then I have Drew Pomerantz, who's probably my favorite name on this list. And he's also probably the least likely to get dealt. Um, I think the Padres are in full cell mode, but they're probably going to deal more for the lineup than the pitching staff. So, um, he would be expensive. He'd be more expensive than Rich Hill or anybody else on this list. But, um, I would at least want them to ask about it and see what happens. And I'm pretty sure AJ probably said he's not going to deal him. So that means he's going to be expensive.
2: Do we know how much time he's got left uh, on his deal right now for Pomerantz? He's still on his rookie deal, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can check.
2: Um, yeah, so he's got a while. He's 27 years old for everybody that's not familiar with Pomerantz. Um, got drafted by Cleveland, ended up in Colorado for a while. Um, then on the athletics. Um My biggest issue with Pomerantz has never been talent. I mean, the guy is hugely talented, fifth overall pick in 2010. But the issue with him is he's been a two-pitch pitcher pretty much his entire career, um, throwing a fastball and a uh, curveball. Um, But this year, he has been messing around a little bit more with a cutter, which it looks like he's throwing about 10% of the time, uh, and a changeup that he's mixing in occasionally he did throw a change up in the past, but just not very much. Um, so, I mean, are you buying that this new pitch mix that he has is what's helping him succeed? Or is there something else that you're seeing so far with Drew Pomerantz? Cause he's been awesome so far.
1: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of that. I think it's, um, I think there's definitely some benefit to him moving to San Diego, um, in that park in the national league obviously helps. Um, he's also a stack cast darling. Um, I know his spin rates are out of control and um, the StatCast people always talk about how much spin rate correlates with strikeouts and his kind of performance. So I'm not sure he's as good as he's been, but I think, um, I think I'm think i ready to buy that he's at least a mid-rotation guy. And it looks like he has two more years of control, so um, I wouldn't mind them taking a shot out on a guy like that.
2: Yeah, a couple things still concern me, though. I think we have seen... Almost artificially low Left on base percentages And home run rate percentages from him So far Uh, And he's also had a few extra walks He's walking almost four and a half guys Per nine uh, To go along with the strikeouts that he's had Which have been really healthy by the way But I'm not sure that I'm buying That his move over to the Red Sox Would have As big of an impact And I, I have a feeling that he would be quite expensive
1: Yeah, he probably would. And you're right. Um, It's like I said, anybody. Everybody's going to be so expensive. This is just such a horrible time to need a starting pitcher.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, An interesting guy that you mentioned, though, out of those guys was uh, Matt Shoemaker. Uh, I want to talk about him a little bit because Shoemaker has been a guy in the past that I have bought into. I think it was 2014 when last he was uh, pretty darn good. Yeah, he had a 3.04 ERA. Um, was pretty awesome and I think some of the advanced uh, stats actually backed up what he was doing there wasn't walking a whole lot of guys and he's kind of gotten back to that tendency this year still giving up a few too many home runs but what I really liked about Shoemaker um, and what I still like about him is he does have a true four pitch mix and he throws a split finger fastball that is actually awesome. It's a great pitch. He's one of the few guys in the league that throws it. Uh, it seems like Matt Shoemaker and a bunch of Japanese pitchers are the only guys that really throw this pitch. Um, but he he's great, and uh, he's cheap. And um, I think that you could make a pretty good argument that for a, a guy with a 5.5 ERA, um, you could probably get him pretty cheaply.
1: Yeah, I think... Um I think you're right. I think of everybody that I listed, he's probably, when you combine talent and um, cost of acquisition, he's probably my favorite guy on the list, especially since I feel like the Angels are just in a desperate place where they just need prospects. So I mean, if you wave a couple decent prospects in front of them, they might just jump. So, and like you said with that ERA, even though it doesn't really reflect how well he's pitched this year, you might be able to get him a little cheaper because of the.
2: Yeah, I, I really like the idea of Shoemaker. I definitely could see how the uh, the Angels would kind of take whatever bag of random prospects you'd give them. I mean, if you gave them any of the Red Sox prospects from like 7 to 20 and were like, all right, pick four of these guys, those would immediately be the top four guys in their system.
1: Oh Yeah, I mean, I don't know pretend to be a prospect expert but i know everybody that i read said that this is just about the worst farm system they've ever seen so <laughs>
2: yeah the, the red sox depth could come into play here so that could be a really interesting one to watch um one of the guys that i just want to say hell no to uh on your list is jeremy hellickson i know that he has done it this year for uh the phillies and he's kind of right up there with eikhoff and nola and some of those other guys on that staff that have been really relying a lot on the curveball and doing some nice things, but I just have nightmares of Jeremy Hellickson uh, with uh, Tampa and you know just recently before this season where he was like a six ERA pitcher. Um, I think he throws junk and I don't want anything to do with him.
1: Yeah, I think I kind of think I follow too many Phillies fans and I'm just <laughs> drinking the Kool-Aid right now, so I don't really blame you though.
2: <laughs> I mean, am I missing something on on Hellickson? What's going on with him? How is he doing this?
1: I don't really know, to be honest with you. Um, he was he was all right with Tampa. I mean, he had those home run problems, but he's been fine at different points of his career. Um, I think his strikeouts are up this year. I'm trying to pull up his numbers right now, but
2: yeah, his strikeouts it might just are be all a- the way up to nine per, per nine.
1: Yeah, I mean that. So that helps. Um, he's actually getting more ground balls than he ever has too. So. It's, it's somebody to take a look at. I definitely wouldn't pay anything. And like I said, he's the guy that if you miss on everybody else and you just need a body, you might as well just take a chance on him.
2: So if they call and ask you for Dubon, you're hanging up right away.
1: Oh, are you kidding me? I probably wouldn't give up Dubon for Kershaw. Charlie <laughs> <Jeremy laughs> Ellickson, get out of here.
2: <laughs> oh, man. So who else was on that list? I, I completely uh, forgot the
1: name. Um, Junior Guerra, who's Junior? probably – yeah, he's he's like a weird guy who came out of nowhere and he's gotten off to a good start in like his first five starts. So he's more somebody to keep an eye on uh, for the Brewers to see what happens um, up till the trade deadline. But
2: yeah, he's an interesting guy. Um, when I look at his profile real quick, and I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert on Guerra because he's really not somebody who I've followed. Um, bit bit of a fringy prospect when he was coming up. But he's bounced around a lot of different systems, Braves, Mets, um, White Sox, now Brewers. Um, man, I just don't know. It's tough to believe that what he's doing right now is sustainable based on what he's done in the minor leagues. I mean, do you think this is just kind of a hot start, or do you think that this is anything that could could play in the American League East?
1: He probably couldn't, but it's something to keep an eye on. I mean, the numbers back up what he's done so far. Um and he's another guy who would come pretty cheap. So, um, like Helixson, he's a guy that you hope to get somebody better. And then if you need a warm body, you fall back on these kind of guys.
2: Yeah, I think I would offer them You half, say to bottom hanging up. Uh, I was going to say half of Henry Owens. Like if we could split him in half and <laughs> give him half for for, uh, for Guerra. I don't even think he's worth a full Henry Owens. So... Hard pass on Gara, but yeah, if,
1: he may he may be the kind of guy who just you just have to give up like a somebody in the DSL that's throwing like 98 miles an hour.
2: That'd be fine with me if I haven't heard of the guy that we're giving up for Gara. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll be okay with it. So um, let's talk real quick about left field targets because I know that you came up with some of those. Um, I did not have a chance to look at those yet, so I am very interested to hear some of the names that you came up with for left field, because that could end up being a real possibility for this team, especially if something happens where all of a sudden the rotation stabilizes with um, you know, Price pitching better, uh, if Porcello can get out of his rut, if Eduardo can find his game, and a guy like Elias or Clay Buchholz comes back and reclaims that rotation spot before the trade deadline, which, I mean, very well could happen, at least those first four things I said could very well happen the fifth spot is still kind of iffy but um it is realistic so it it could be one of the situations where with the pitching market being as bad as you've alluded to the Red Sox might think it more wise to put their eggs in the basket of acquiring a big bat in left field
1: yeah um I don't really see that happening but if it does there's definitely some more intriguing names out there um Carlos Gonzalez and Ryan Braun come immediately to mind. Um, I think the market is probably going to be a little aggressive on them, so who knows what those will cost. But they're obviously proven talents, and um, I think people are scared of Ryan Braun's contract, but he's still a great hitter and great hitting costs money. I I think his market, his contract's about market values, so I wouldn't be too worried about that. A um, couple of other guys are Jay Bruce. Um, He's got a bunch of power from the left side. Um, even if you wanted to platoon him with Chris Young, that would work. And then you have Melvin Upton and Will Myers in San Diego. Um, they could sell. I don't know if they're going to sell Will Myers. That might be a pipe dream, but somebody to call on. And then uh, back to the Angels, I had Cole Calhoun, who I think is kind of underrated. He's sort of boring, but um, he gets the job done. He's He's above average at the plate every year, so... Um, he's another guy where I'd call on him and tangle a few prospects and see if he could get anything done with a team that is desperate for some minor league infusion.
2: So out of those guys, um, I think 100%, like by far, far and away, the guy who I want most on the Red Sox out of those names is Cole Calhoun. Um, I love everything about his game. He reminds me of a Trot Nixon type guy, just kind of a dirt dog, a little bit undersized, um, plays pretty good defense, has a pretty solid arm. Um, hits the ball pretty well. I think he'd just really be a great fit in Fenway. Um, I agree that he's not going to be super expensive. Uh, plays a lot of games every year. Uh, I think that would be a tremendous pickup because he can play right. He can play left. Um, he can he can kind of do a lot of things for you. I, I think that'd be a great clubhouse guy. Um, I really also like Jay Bruce there. I, I'd be a little bit afraid of Jay Bruce's defense because it's, not all that good in Cincy and um, I know that playing the wall is a little bit tricky for some guys I don't know about him Uh, I think he could have some pretty interesting doubles power but I would much rather see one of those two guys where the cost I think is going to be quite a bit lower uh, than see the Red Sox try and go out and acquire a guy like Braun or Carlos uh, Gonzalez where I've heard that the asking prices on those guys is a little bit pie in the sky right now.
1: They probably are. And, I mean, they usually are this time of year. Um, I think Ryan Braun might be a little more expensive all year just because they can wait until the off season if they want to. Uh, but I would expect Carlos Gonzalez. He's eventually going to get moved. Uh, I will say about Cole Calhoun, I would agree that um, he would probably be my favorite. But at the same time, I also haven't really heard that he's – I haven't heard any rumors that he's going to be available. He's just someone I kind of picked off a team that's struggling, so he might not even get traded. Uh, I would say that the most likely guy, he's probably the least exciting, but Melvin Upton. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Red Sox made a move with him just for things like a straight salary dump.
2: Oh, man, Melvin Upton. It's just it's going to be tough, isn't it, to, to wrap your head around Melvin Upton as a good baseball player again. I know that he's been doing it so far this season. He's got pretty respectable numbers. He can play a lot of places around the field. But, man, he was just so bad for such a a long stretch that it's kind of scary to think about the Red Sox actually spending money on him.
1: Yeah, I'm not super excited about it. And I think it comes down to if they're going to give up minor league pieces for a starting pitcher, I don't think they're going to want to do it in left field too. So they'll just say, we'll take this money off your hands and – just give us a guy who can play left field better than Chris Young against righties.
2: Yeah, you know, man, I, I really, I can't get behind Melvin Upton. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna just, I'm gonna back out on that <laughs> one. If we get Melvin Upton, I'll be actively upset. <laughs> but I'll be well, actively I, upset if we get Ryan Braun too.
1: See, he's, I like Ryan Braun. Well, I don't like Ryan Braun, but I like him as a player.
2: He's a trash human being, though, isn't he?
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of it. Ryan Braun the person.
2: I really hate Ryan Braun. I I have hated him since this whole steroid saga went down. And it's not because, like, oh, like he did steroids and I hate him. Like, I'm not one of those guys. I just despise the way that this guy handled it and the way that he went about his business and threw the guy who was the, the, the testing delivery guy under the bus and probably cost him his job. I mean, really just a, a terrible situation from a pretty – Terrible human being, so I don't want anything to do with him. I don't want him on the Red Sox. I think he'd just throw off the karma and the team would go into like a 0-50 slump for the rest of the year. That's fair. (laughs) But as far as uh, Carlos uh, Gonzalez goes, I mean, he's a pretty talented guy. He had 40 home runs last year, so Um, I think it was 40 exactly, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. I don't have his numbers in front of me, but it was something like that. The problem with him is always health. Um, He has trouble staying on the field.
2: Well, that's the problem, but also when you look at stats like true average and um, weighted runs created plus um, that actually factor in uh, park factors and things like that, Carlos Gonzalez doesn't look quite as good as – he does uh when you just look at his raw numbers because of where he plays Uh, last season his weighted runs created plus uh, which anything over 100 is better than average uh, came out to just 114 despite having a 40 home run season so i just don't know how much of a an impact guy he would be um, playing in the american league and you know playing in some more neutral parks
1: well i think um if you don't have Swihart and Holtz, your utility guy, you're still dealing with concussions, then that's a pretty massive upgrade over Castillo or Young against righties. I mean, I, with those guys, you're talking about a clearly below-average hitter, so someone who's even just 15% above average is a pretty substantial upgrade.
2: So what do you think the cost difference is going to be, though, be, between like a guy like Carlos Gonzalez and a guy like Jay Bruce? Because clearly, you know, Carlos Gonzalez, I agree with you. He, he would be a monumental, like, game-changing upgrade over those guys that you mentioned because I think they fall so far below the spectrum of average right now. But a guy like Jay Bruce, who does come with similar power, um, maybe not quite as much in the average department, maybe gives you a similar on base. Um, at, well, not, not similar, but close enough. Um, what do you think the cost difference is?
1: Probably... Pretty significant. Um, Again, I think it comes down to whether or not they're devoting these assets to a pitcher or not. Um, If they're not, then they can go all out for someone like Gonzalez and get that extra offense. If they do give up some prospects for a pitcher, they can take the discount on Bruce or somebody else. Um, I think that's what it'll come down to. I don't think they'll go after Carlos Gonzalez and one of the big pitchers on the market.
2: Currently, Jay Bruce has a 138 weighted runs created on the season. And uh, Carlos Gonzalez sits at 126 So Jay Bruce currently playing a little bit better And quite a bit cheaper So if the uh, the Cole Calhoun thing doesn't happen That's what I'm rooting for
1: Yeah, I wouldn't mind it I mean, his, I, his average is way higher than it's been In a long, long time, though I wouldn't expect that to keep up
2: Well, at least he wouldn't drive the clubhouse into oblivion Like <laughs> Ryan freaking Braun There we go <laughs> All right So a um, lot, of, lot of possibilities A lot of things that could happen They could also make a run at a uh, bullpen guy I, ex- I kind of expect that to happen Regardless of what they do with these two things um, What we've got ahead of us uh, For the Red Sox this week Is a pretty light schedule um, <clears throat> Red Sox get a-, a rare two days off This upcoming week um, They're playing at San Francisco And at Minnesota um, do you think that after this little bit of added rest, the bullpen ends up fine, or is this still a concern for you? Um,
1: a little bit of both. Um, I think they're fine with Roll Tozawa. I think Tozawa's been great. I'm a little worried about him getting tired later in the year, but for now he should be fine. Um, Koji definitely has me concerned. He doesn't look like himself. I think age finally caught up to him. But, I mean, overall they still have Henry, they still have Barnes. Ross has been fine. They have Pat Light, um, Kyle Martin, Anthony Pavaro coming up from the minors if they need them. So I agree with you that they'll have to make a move at some point. But for now, I think they're fine. They're top third of the league bullpen, I think.
2: I love Heath Embry. He has pitched just so well. Uh, Yeah,
1: he's been a surprise.
2: He's been great. And uh, the last time he was out um, on Sunday when he threw 2.1 innings and just I think he struck out four guys, he looked awesome. His stuff was just completely electric. So, I think he's going to be a big guy, and I, I think Matt Barnes keeps it going all season. I think he's got a big power body, and he can kind of handle it.
1: Yeah, they both um, they both have tendencies to blow up sometimes. Matt Barnes gives up a ton of fly balls. Heath Hembree can lose control a little bit sometimes. So, but I mean, as sixth, seventh inning guys, I think they're totally fine. Yeah, absolutely
2: so uh let's get going with uh, some of these matchups for next week you can tell me who you think has the advantage and then we'll uh, predict how they'll do uh, overall over these next five games so first uh first up is Rick Porcello versus Alberto Suarez uh Suarez has only made two starts this year gave up three earned in both um, not a huge prospect or anything there uh, not a not a big big time talent but decent enough
1: yeah I I won't lie. I don't know really anything about Suarez. I tried to look up some things about him uh, this afternoon, and I couldn't really find anything. So that kind of leads me to believe that Porcello should have the advantage here.
2: Yeah, you'd hope so. And uh, maybe that uh, high four-seamer that he throws that sometimes get crushed uh, will actually be caught by our elite outfield playing out in uh, AT&T Park.
1: Yeah, that um, should definitely help.
2: Yeah, I I think that'll be a definite advantage for Porcello. I agree. Um, this is a big one. Price versus Bumgarner. Where are you going here?
1: Yeah, this is exciting. I think you have to give it to Bumgarner, right? I mean, I don't, it's not that I'm worried about price or anything, but Bumgarner has been unbelievable and he's always unbelievable. Uh, in his home park, I think you kind of got to give it to him in a slight edge, but, uh, yeah, this is an exciting game that I wish wasn't being played at 10 o'clock at night with NL rules.
2: <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, I also think that you give it to Bumgarner here. Um, he's pitched better than Price this year, plain and simple. I'm not ready to say that he's a better pitcher than Price. Uh, he is younger. He's done. I some... think I'm ready to say that. Uh, really?
1: Uh, see, I don't know why. I Maybe it's recency bias, but I mean, Bumgarner's been so good for a long time now.
2: Bumgarner's been great. But when you look at where they've played their careers, I mean, what David Price has done over the last three seasons playing in the American league has been pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, they're both, uh, top of the league pitchers among the best. So it's kind of splitting hairs.
2: Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's intriguing. I think you probably, you'd rather have Bumgarner if you're starting a team right now because he is the younger guy, but that dude has a lot of mileage on his, on his, uh, his arm already. But I, I guess with some of these higher, uh, higher inning guys, um, doesn't necessarily matter too much. If you have the body to throw a ton of innings, you kind of can throw a ton of innings and uh, not have too many ill effects from it. So, uh, Bumgarner, pretty pretty much as safe as it gets. Um, so, after that little uh, two-game set there, they they, t- they have a day off, and then How they go... How stupid
1: is that series? Two games? Are you kidding me?
2: It's a whole lot of travel. Dude. Two
1: games out west, And our rules. Everything about that series is horrible.
2: Yeah, it is a really weird series, and then they head all the way up to Minnesota. So I guess at least they don't have to make a full cross-country flight there. Um, and then we've got some 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 matchups here. I'm not going to say good, but uh, we've got Stephen Wright versus Eduardo San, uh, Irvin, Irvin Santana, um, Julius Irvin Santana. <laughs> um, who do you got there? Do I even um, have to ask?
1: No, I mean right. I there's
2: only it's, one right answer.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I'm i not picking against right right now.
2: No, he's filthy. And uh, I did watch that uh, gif of his pitch against Chris Davis twice today. So um, <laughs> there you go. Um, Erod versus uh, Tyler Duffy. Um, I think this is a very interesting matchup right here.
1: Yeah, uh, Duffy's actually not too bad. Um, I don't think he's great or anything, but I don't think it water- re- Rodriguez is great either. Um, I think this is the kind of game where you have to hope that Rodriguez can bounce back and uh, get some strikeouts against a lineup that strikes out a lot in a decent park. And uh, I think I give him the slight edge, but it's pretty close.
2: Yeah, I'm giving the edge to Duffy here. I think he is going to perform pretty well at home. He's got really good strikeout stuff. Um, Occasionally gets plagued by the long ball, but uh, by and large... I think pretty highly of Duffy. I think that he's a guy, if he can get some defense behind him and um, just tighten up a few things, he's not all that far off from being a guy who could consistently put up three and a half ERA seasons. I think he's got that type of talent in him. So
1: Yeah, that's fair. I think it, for me it had more to do with the offenses that they were facing than the pitchers themselves.
2: That makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Final uh, matchup of the week is going to be Porcello again versus Dean. Uh, I don't even know this guy's first name. What is it? Pat. Pat Dean.
1: What a boring
2: man. (laughs) It's like, take it out of the junk drawer. (laughs) It's like spare parts name. Pat Dean. He's a lefty with a 415 ERA. That's all I know about Pat Dean.
1: Um, He's actually, I mean, by DRA and CFIP, he's been r this year. Um, Although it's only... 26 inning so you can't read too much into that um i think Purcell has the advantage he's going up porcel has a pretty easy week in, as far as uh guys he's pitching against
2: so what do they do this week
1: um well they got five games i think they'll win three Win one split with san francisco and take two out of three minnesota i don't know which one they'll lose but they'll probably lose one
2: I'll go with that too. I'm tempted to say two and three just because of how they've been playing right now but I just can't see him dropping you know two two out of three to Minnesota right now.
1: Yeah that would be embarrassing.
2: That would be really bad so a um, couple quick hits before we uh, get out of here on the minor leagues Ben Intendi uh, bat in 275 over the last 10 days in Portland. Power hasn't shown up yet but I'm sure that will happen soon. Yeah, um, I don't know. Rafael Devers um, batting three oh six with one home run over his last 10 games, showing a little bit of life here. So uh, for everybody panicking about Devers, uh, he's still like the youngest person in that league by like five years or something crazy. It's <laughs> he's, like he's, he's pretty much an infant. He's still wearing diapers out there. He's, he's batting 306 over the last 10 days. So don't worry about him. Uh, Anderson Espinosa struggled in his last start this weekend. Three earned runs, one K, uh, two walks over four innings pitched. Uh, again, he's 18 years old, so it's okay. Uh, and then lastly, Yohan Moncada batting two thirty-one over the last 10 days. Uh, my question for you, Matt, if it does arise and uh, a non-Sunny Gray actual ace becomes available, uh, on a team, do you trade Yon Mankata for an ace?
1: Um, I mean, it depends, right? I mean, how long is he under control? What? Yeah. Um, it really depends on who it is. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say he's untouchable or anything, but I think you have to get a guy who's under control for a few years and has proven that he's an outstanding pitcher for me to want to deal Mancada, because Mancada can play all over the diamond. Um, he's not stuck at second base. They can move him over to third They can put him in the outfield They'll find a spot for him
2: Yeah, I agree with that um, I think it would have to be a top 10 pitcher in baseball For me to feel comfortable with that Maybe top 15
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that
2: But if that guy's there See ya Yeah. Uh, lastly, uh, I have been ending uh, the The shows for almost a month now Uh, asking everybody uh, on the show who is the best player on the Boston Red Sox. I'm not sure if I've got a chance to ask you this yet, so I'm going to throw it at you, Matt. Who's the best player on the Red Sox?
1: I'm going Bogarts. Um, I think it's obviously a Betts-Bogarts discussion. Um, I kind of wrote about this a couple weeks ago, that I was wavering on this stance last year. But every year Bogarts has gotten substantially better at something. Last year was his defense and his contact tool. Now he's adding the power and the patience with it. Um, I, he's a guy that could legitimately go 300, 400, 500 for most of the season is prime while playing average to above average defense at shortstop, and he's getting pretty close to that level right now. Um, I know Betts is amazing, but there's something about a shortstop who could do that that's a lot more impressive to me than a right fielder.
2: Well, there we are. We've now got everybody uh, in our little census here. Uh, we have three votes for Bogarts and uh, one vote, Matt Corey, for uh, Mookie Betts. And, Even uh, to the West Coast guy. Yeah, exactly. Those Portlandians. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and and if anybody was wondering, no, my guy is not Blake Swihart. It is uh, certainly Xander Bogarts. So, yeah. Um, there we have it that's that's episode 10 in the books um if you would like to subscribe to this podcast we would love if you did um you can go to itunes you can find us there you can subscribe um you can also rate and review us a uh, few people have done that so far so thank you there uh, we always appreciate that feedback um you can also subscribe to us on uh tune in um stitcher and um you can go to blog talk radio page and find us there as well um, you can find me on twitter at, at dev jake and uh matt once again where can they find you
1: at Red Sox underscore thoughts
2: all right so uh tune in with us next week uh for episode 11 and um hopefully we'll have some more juicy juicy topics for you to talk about all right so for matt collins this is jake deborah saying thanks for joining us and have a good night